guys, welcome to the Cannabis Minority Report powered by the National Cannabis Industry Association, also known as the NCIA. It is the largest trade association in the cannabis industry today. And I am your host, Khadija Adams, founder of Girl Get That Money and the Green Street Academy. Here for our weekly check-in and interviews with minority-owned companies in the space, companies that support social equity and social equity applicants, as well as cannabis industry leaders and pioneers. This episode of the Cannabis Minority Report is sponsored by the Green Street Academy, an online educational academy that teaches you the basics of investing in cannabis stocks. Joining me today is my co-host, Ms. Alexis Olive of Olive U Media, and our very special guest, Amy Margolis, founder of The Initiative and attorney at Margolis Legal. But before we dive into our conversation, y'all know we got to check out the latest news in cannabis. Well, guess what, you guys? Arizona Supreme Court launches, um, they launched a site, a website to help people expunge marijuana convic conviction. So I'm super excited about that. Um, but guess what? There's no excuses now for not having um, to get your record expunged in the state of Arizona. So the Arizona Supreme Court on Wednesday actually announced that it has launched a, a very special website to help people expunge their cash marijuana conviction records. Um, also pursuant to the legalization initiative that voters approved last year. So provisions for expunging records that show the arrest, the charge, the adjudication, the conviction or sentence um, of certain marijuana-related offenses take effect July 12th of this year, you guys. And the court actually said that the website will help individuals determine if they qualify for expungement and will provide forms and instructions for filing. So to get started on your process of having your marijuana-related offense um, expunged in the state of Arizona, you're going to want to go to www.azcourts.gov forward slash prop 207. And then did you know um, or have any questions about social equity in Arizona? Um, do you want to find out how to get your cannabis felony also expunged? Join the Arizona Cannabis um, Chamber of Commerce on Wednesday, June 16th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time via Zoom. Um, where the topic of discussion will be why expungement is critical to social equity program applicants. This is going to be hosted by the Arizona Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, and there will be a panel of attorneys and dispensary owners um, available to answer any questions that you may have about the social equity program and the expungement um, process as well. And yours truly will be moderating that panel of cannabis industry experts we're going to have Sayoun um, DDJ. He's the founder of Elevate 8 Cannabis Dispensary. We're also going to have Janet Jeckham. She's an attorney at Zuber Lawler. Um, Tom Dean, he's an attorney, an Arizona uh, cannabis attorney. And then we're going to also have Dimitri Downing um, from Mita and then Gary Smith from, um, I think it's called Gudent Law. If I'm not mistaken, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, you guys. G-U-I-D-A-N-T. Um, so register. Um, if you want to register, go to azc3.org. Azc3.org. And then finally, the House reintroduces a bill to decriminalize cannabis 
create social equity programs. And according to um, Maritza Perez, she says the whole intention and vision behind this bill is to, to have it um, repair the past harms um, of drug prohibition. So the Drug Policy Alliance's Office of the National Affairs Director, um, Maritza Perez is really backing us big time. So after voting um, was overwhelmingly last year to de decriminalize cannabis at the federal level, congressional leaders actually reintroduced the bill this last Friday to strike marijuana from the list of controlled substance and, and invest in companies disproportionately affected by the so-called um, failed ass war on drugs, okay? Um, so the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment Expungement Act of 2021, also known as the MORE Act, would also eliminate criminal penalties, clear criminal records, and create social equity programs by um, th that are actually focused on repairing the damage to individuals and communities um, impacted by decades of prohibition. So the bill was introduced by House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nader. He's a Democrat out of New York. Awesome. Um, so True Leave CEO shifting cannabis industry focus on social equity. So industry giant True Leave has plans to open additional stores in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania this year said the CEO, Kim Rivers. She said that social equity is Trulieve's focus and it's a must. If approved at the upcoming annual shareholders meeting, women will make up 50% of Trulieve's board. Awesome. Um, so Rivers, she also commended the recently reintroduced MORE Act in the US House of Representatives. Rivers highlighted provisions geared at additional funds for minority groups and women, including an emphasis on small business. Still, licensing can't be the end goal for social equity. She said, I think it's fantastic that states are offering you new licenses or have different programs, but it's all about how do we get these businesses actually launched, stable and profitable, Kim Rivers stated. So we have Amazon backing legislation. Amazon is not testing its employees for THC in an effort to support cannabis legalization. So big news. Um, last Wednesday, I'm sorry, last Tuesday, June 2nd, Amazon's customer consumer boss, Dave Clark, stated the company's public policy team will be actively supporting the MORE Act. The company will no longer include marijuana in its drug screening program for any positions that are not regulated by the Department of Transportation. He stated, given where st state laws are moving across the US, we've changed course. So I think that's great news that this will uh, definitely give cannabis patients more opportunities for employment across the country. And uh, lastly, Oregon lawmakers reintroduce social equity cannabis bill. The Oregon Equity Investment Act provides equal opportunity for black, indigenous and Latinx ownership in the growing cannabis industry and invested communities disproportionately impacted by overpolicing policing, and cannabis criminalization. The passage of the Oregon Equity Investment Act would uh, focus cannabis tax dollars and other relevant funds into repairing the damages done to the black and brown communities by providing business opportunities and support and meeting housing, education, and healthcare needs. The act also enacts free automatic expungement of eligible cannabis crimes for everyone eliminating the hurdles 
that have kept 20,000 plus Oregonians from expunging their cannabis record. Um, coming up, you're going to meet our special guest, Portland's Portland, Oregon's Amy Margolis, founder of The Initiative and attorney at Margolis Legal. We're going to learn more about Amy and the story behind her success in the cannabis industry. And we'll get Amy's take on social equity and how the industry has evolved over the years right after these messages. I am the cannabis industry. 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 We are the cannabis industry. And we are proving that regulation works. with Amy Margolis, founder of The Initiative and attorney at Margolis Legal. Amy's been an attorney for over 19 years and is the founder of the Oregon Cannabis Association, one of the largest state cannabis trade groups in the U.S. She frequently advises both business and investors on developing, I'm sorry, deploying capital, multi-jurisdiction growth, public offerings, and every other stage of business and corporate development. Ms. Margolis also started the initiative of Business Accelerator, established to help female-founded businesses succeed and find funding in the cannabis space. Amy was recently named by the Cannabis Business Executive as one of the 100 most powerful political people in the cannabis in cannabis as well as one of the 50 most important women in cannabis in 2016 and 2017. She's been named by the Business Journal one of the 40 under 40 to watch in Oregon politics and one of 12 pioneer, pioneering women of cannabis by Stoner Magazine and one of the, most, uh, one of the 10 most influential women by Herb Magazine. Pretty cool. Uh, Amy has been named as a super lawyer since 2011. She recently won the prestigious 2017 Portland Business Journal Women of Influence Award, uh, given to only a small group of Oregon women every year. So, Miss Amy Margolis, welcome to the Cannabis Minority Report podcast. It's so good. It's such an honor to have you today. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, both of you. Yeah, for sure. That. Um, well, I want to just start with maybe getting some background from you um, on your history and how you entered the cannabis industry and why. Sure. So, I mean, I, I started as a criminal defense lawyer. Um, I represented clients first as a public defender um, and then in my own private practice. Um, I primarily represented people charged with serious person crimes, but because I had um, a group of grow stores that I represented, I helped a number of people charged with cannabis offenses over the years, both in state and federal court. And when, gosh, in 2011 and 2012, um, those same clients who we helped in their criminal cases came and said that they thought that cannabis was going to be legalized and that they wanted to be able to have an opportunity to participate. And now there's a million lawyers who are doing cannabis work. But in 2011 and 2012, there were very few of us who were helping clients start businesses because it was still risky. There are very few of us who were helping clients figure out how to grow um, their product or grow their dispensary, no pun intended. Um, and so I, I started helping. And in 2014, we started the Oregon Cannabis Association. Um, and I had previously lobbied for criminal justice issues for the uh, Oregon criminal defense lawyers and a group called Partnership for Safety and Justice, which does um, sentencing reform and recidivism work. And so those two were 
those two things, the cannabis legalization movement and criminal justice have always met each other in an inflection point. And that's how I came to the cannabis space was through my work in criminal justice. Wow, thank you. True pioneer we have here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, um, I wanted to ask you now, what does community service and social equity, such a hot word these days, what does it mean to you? Well, you know, we started the initiative because it was, because I care about what happens to women in this space. And, you know, an, well, for many years, especially in Oregon, which is a cultivation Mecca and has been a place people have come to grow weed for a very long time. It was often like families doing that. So, um, you know, you would see men and women partnered with each other. You would see groups of people and those were not always perfectly gender balanced, but there were lots of women in the industry, even if they weren't always doing the riskiest parts of the work. And um, I really got to see, I think like an evolution of um, what was happening to gender in this space as corporate interests began to dominate. And so, you know, we started the industry because, or started the initiative because we wanted to see balance. And it felt like if we did not do something to encourage women in this space to have leadership roles, to start brands, to have licenses, that we were just going to miss the moment. So, I mean, to me, community service means helping women, women of color succeed in this space. Um, and social equity means providing opportunities to those who otherwise would not have opportunities to be successful, but absolutely should, whether it's because they were disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs or because they're from a marginalized community, any of those things, or they're, from, they're women who can't quite figure an entry point out. And that's what social equity is giving opportunities to those folks um, who might not otherwise have it. I love that. Yeah, seriously, thank you so much because um, like we were saying before, it's we really want to support these small businesses before they just get pushed out yes. um, by these big corporations, mm -hmm. you know, before you have a chance to, to build it. Um, so going back a little bit further now um, to your like your history with cannabis when you were younger, how was it viewed by your family or your community? And has it changed, I'm assuming? <laughs> yeah, you know, my parents are very liberal. So okay. although they don't drink and they don't use cannabis, although sometimes my mom will wear a patch or use some cream, you know, they're pretty um, open-minded. Um, and, you know, their perspective was that it was an opportunity to do something good. And I mean, they have always had a, um, a kind of concept of service was always important to them. And so, um, they viewed this, I think, as a natural extension of what I was doing with the criminal defense and criminal justice work. Um, but there's never been like a stigma attached in my family. They're just pretty open, liberal kind of people. And that's made it, that made it easier, I think, in the early years when it was still dangerous and lawyers were still losing their bar licenses or getting in trouble for me to be more willing to take those chances. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's such a blessing to be able to grow up with parents that aren't um, shaming you for using plant medicine. Yeah, yes, they were great. Awesome. And yeah, they must be super proud of the, the justice that you're bringing. Thank you so much for that. Um, and what, what would you say is your why right now for, for pushing social justice um, in the cannabis industry? What's really sparked your passion? And was it like a specific incident or what would you say? So, you know, we, the 
way that the initiative started was at MJ Biz. Um, and, you know, I like probably all of you have been going for a very, very long time. And I was at a party. Now it's just parties, right? Um, I was at a party and I looked around and I was, I noticed that of like the 50 or 60 people in the room, I was like, I'm the only woman in this room. I was like, actually, literally the only wow. woman. In the room. And I was like, this is bonkers. And the next day I held a meeting and it was for a brand merger and there were five or six brands in the room. And again, I was the only woman at the end of the meeting. I said, you know, next time I'd like to see some like women decision makers in this room. And their response was like, start complaining about their wives and their girlfriends. Okay. And oh, wow. I was like, this is so stupid. <laughs> I was like, there's wow. something to do something. And, you know, now there are lots of people doing great work on social equity, but I mean, it's really something we've only started talking about yeah. like pretty recently, I think for reasons we could all talk about on a whole different show, why it's <laughs> all of a sudden become the like focal point of, you know, everybody's discussion. Um, so, you know, for me, the why is like pretty simple is that I think that like women get the raw end of the deal in like just about every industry. We don't have the same opportunities. We don't have the same luck raising money. We have some institutional hurdles that are unique to gender issues. And cannabis is so overwhelmingly white male that I like, I just can barely tolerate it. So, you know, for me, it's that, you know, even if we help one or two companies you know, my call after this is helping a company do their second raise that went through the initiative. Like, even if you have one or two big successes, that's a big deal in an industry that really is starting to have only five, six, 10 big players. So my why is helping to support women because I just like cannot do anything else. I love that. I love that. So women empowerment, right? And being able to notice, you know, um, or, or being able to capture that niche, right? Because we are a niche, right? Women. Yeah. Um, so tell, tell us about the obstacles that you faced and, and how you overcame these obstacles because you've been in the industry for quite some time now and surely there were a lot of obstacles that you, you, you know, spoke about as, as far as it not being federally legal yet. You were taking that risk. We, we all know that, you know, the higher the risk, the higher the reward, but also the higher the risk the higher you could go to jail back then, right? And have your, your, your license taken away from you. So tell us about the obstacles. Tell us about how you overcame the obstacles. So, I mean, I think the first thing is to kind of acknowledge my privilege as a white woman who was doing those things. And, you know, I, my feeling is that a lot of, if you're kind of giving credit or, recognizing what has made this industry possible, there's like a lot of buckets, right? It's the kind of pioneers who were the growers who took risks for all of these years and the people who kind of made like Dune, like the spice flow, right? So like we had cannabis across this country because people were willing to take really, really big risks. We had, you know, all of the people who went to jail and prison for cannabis mostly because it is a war on black and brown people. And you know, we have the group of people who, and states too, like Colorado and Oregon and Washington, that like we're willing to take a risk, I think even just through the legalization process and each state has had its own 
very unique and difficult challenges. And so, you know, I, I, my feeling is, is like all of those, the states, the people harmed by the war on drugs, the pioneers who have made this industry possible, they all had like real obstacles. And I think it's like, was a total privilege to like help keep people out of custody since 2001. Um, and I still think it's a privilege. And I still take those cases every once in a while. Um, but, you know, I, I think for us in Oregon, we had some unique obstacles. Um, we had a very big medical community. They were very active. Um, and it was hard to kind of think, kind of try, strike the balance between legalization, you know, allowing the medical community into the legal program um, and how to build a space. So, I mean, I, I, my kind of personal obstacles, I think are nothing, you know, when you compare them to like the real harm that was done um, and the real risks people yeah. took. I just thought it was a privilege to stand next to them. Wow. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, man. I mean, there was a lot, you know, when I started doing my research uh, about this industry, you know, the things that I uncovered about the social injustice and, you know, the, the, the purposeful targeting yeah. of black and brown people, it just like, it just ignited something in me. So I get that 100%. So tell us how important is um, education on cannabis and, and legal regulations to women who are actually seeking to enter the industry? And what do you recommend that they do first before taking the leap into the industry? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think for anything, it's doing your research. And, you know, it's, even if it's just getting online, I mean, you have to, I mean, everyone on this call, I think knows, like it starts with an idea. So I, I think if you want to work in the industry, there's amazing job opportunities. And there's a lot of companies that are, you know, prioritizing giving jobs to women, people of color. And I, I think that there's a lot of ways to enter into the space and get some like hands-on experience. There's a lot of social equity groups doing some great training programs. Um, and I think that's, if you kind of don't know what you want to do yet, you know, going in and trying it, like the nice thing about cannabis industry is it mostly pays a living wage you know, health benefits, like companies, I think are really trying at least to rise to the occasion, not always successfully. I think if you're a woman, female entrepreneur or female identifying entrepreneur, mm -hmm. I think that the best approach is to find other women who are willing to be mentors and advisors. And I know there's a thin line between picking somebody's brain. And I know all three of us on this call, like, definitely had our brains picked. Um, but I know that also that having somebody who can be an advisor or a mentor or supporter um, who has had experience growing a brand or a company or building in this industry is really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and it really is the only way we throw retreats, although we haven't done one since right before the pandemic, we will do another one. Um, and, you know, we had hundreds of women come and that was like a great place to meet people to do business with to learn how to start your business, to build relationships. This industry is symbiotic. So, you know, my advice is find a mentor, do your research. If you don't know what you want to do, maybe take some time to get a job or some hands-on training to make sure it's a space you want to be in. It is not easy. It is heavily regulated. So I, I think that's my best advice at this point. Um, and my sort of final thought is that the, even though it feels, I think, to those of us in the industry that, 
um, there are already winners. Um, my, my belief is that it is still wide open for success stories. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. It's enough room out there for all of us, right? You know, and women are, in my opinion, we're now starting to pick it up a little bit in the Canada space. I mean, we have some incredible women. Look at you. Look at all that you've accomplished in this industry and what you're looking to accomplish. And the fact that you put service first, you know, that's what's really important because everything else will come after that. Um, so, hey, tell our um, viewers, Amy, um, if you're going to be attending any speaking engagements, conferences, events, and um, anything that they should be aware of, because we'd really like to support you. You know, I have not decided how to approach conferences again. And, you know, NCIA does some great, obviously, you guys do great events. Um, yeah. You know, MJ Biz is big and unwieldy and kind of hard to navigate, but always such a great networking opportunity. I'll be honest, I've not decided how to approach those yet. Mm -hmm. Um, as we emerge out of the pandemic. Um, we are excited to eventually throw another female to the front. Um, and hopefully we'll start working on that soon now that it seems like we're actually gonna be able to really meaningfully gather again. So um, stay tuned. I just have, I have not decided yet. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you know what, living in this climate, I understand, I really do, because we're still in the pandemic, even though you know, people are receiving these vaccines and all that. We're still in the pandemic and, you know, it's a natural thing to want to, you know, figure out how you navigate your way through that. Do you do yeah. virtual? Do you actually do in person? You know, et cetera, et cetera. So how can our viewers actually contact you directly? Where can they find you online? So the website is in the initiative.com. Um, and you can sign up for the newsletter. You can reach out at info at in the initiative.com or amy at in the initiative.com. Um, it's sort of a tricky email. It's got lots of eyes in there. Um, but, you know, we'll, we're really going to start kicking back in here soon. Um, and one of the things I'm most proud of is social equity report that we finished. Um, we think it's fantastic. The appendix is great. And I would urge people who are interested in a kind of agnostic view of what's happening in social equity mm -hmm. to go to the website and click through to the white paper and through to the appendix. It's, it's a pretty great work. And uh, uh, to me, sort of the greatest impartial window into what's happening in social equity um, that we've had so far. Absolutely. And I think it's amazing the way that the companies are listed, the, well, the states and everything and the different social equity um, programs that are taking place. Well, Amy, we want to thank you so much for being with us on the show today and really look forward to um, when your next events and conferences take place. I know that I am going to subscribe um, so that I can get the latest information. And I did actually friend you or, or sent, sent you a request on LinkedIn. So be sure to click that. And um, you guys, we will be back right after these messages. Working in the cannabis space has been very exciting and it's, I think, a different level of innovation because like the industry itself isn't quite defined. So there's always a new problem to solve or a new way to solve an existing problem or 
you know, really reapplying concepts in a very creative way. There's 25 plus industries inside of this industry with experts from all around. And, you know, for me, you know, there's no other you know, more emerging industry, you know, than cannabis. It's a startup industry entirely made up of startup companies with 2,000 years of user product experience. I mean, there's so many great things on our horizon, uh, just expansion of new markets and new technology, uh, even outside of the U.S. Just to know that uh, legal uh, recreational use came online in 2014. So that's not that far back. Uh, and so to think that we're here now is pretty exciting and pretty amazing. I'm looking forward to the future. I'm just really surprised at where we are now, having kind of grown up with the plant in the 70s and early 80s uh, and seeing what the, the general kind of social attitude was and where we are now. Um, I'm happy. We are back and we are wrapping it up with the latest announcements from the NCIA. But before we do, I want to just share with you that the mission of the DEI committee is to educate, to advocate, to engage and empower the community of cannabis and its members by cultivating partnerships with other nonprofit organizations with similar goals, providing resources that creates and sustains an environment that is inclusive, equitable, and diverse and we are committed to building a culture that respects our members and celebrates their contributions as we work together to strengthen all communities in cannabis. We'd like to especially thanks and send a shout out to our DEI program sponsors, um, Taiho Wellness Center and um, Copper State Farms. We wanna thank you so much. We also want to let you know that the NCIA's webinar series and its Midwest Cannabis Business Conference takes place September 22nd and 23rd in Detroit, Michigan. For more information, go to MidwestCannabisBusinessConference.com and our Eastern um, Cannabis Business Conference takes place December 7th and 8th in Baltimore, Maryland. So for more information, go to Eastern Cannabis Business Conference. Dot com And then finally, our Cannabis Business Summit that takes place December 15th through the 17th in San Francisco, California. For more information, go to CannabisBusinessSummit.com. We'd like to thank our host, Alexis Olive um, of Olive View Media. Um, especially want to thank Amy Margolis um, of the initiative and of the Margolis um, Legal Super excited to have them on. Don't forget you guys to be sure to download the NCIA's mobile app. And if you know of anyone that you think that Alexis and I should interview on the Cannabis Minority Report, be sure to hit me up at info at KhadijaAdams.com. Until then you guys, peace, love, and hippie stuff.
NCIA's Cannabis Minority Report is a product of the National Cannabis Industry Association and NCIA's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. We are hosted every week by Khadijah Adams. Our executive producers are Aaron Smith and Vince Chandler. We are directed by Vince Chandler and produced by Bethany Moore and Alexis Olive. Please, please, please find out everything you can about the growing and equitable cannabis industry at thecannabisindustry.org. 